Everybody, this is your host, Steve Dawson. Welcome to the One Life Podcast, Season 1, featuring Jim Burns, brought to you by Music Makers and Soul Shakers. This podcast is completely ad-free and listener-supported. Please check out all of our episodes at makersandshakerspodcast.com. And if you enjoy what we do and would like to support it, you can make a one-time donation or subscribe to our Patreon page. Just follow the donate button on the top right of makersandshakerspodcast.com. Now, just a reminder that what you're about to hear is unscripted on all counts. Jim Burns is speaking off the top of his head, and all musicians are improvising at all times. This was all performed live over two days at the Warehouse Studio in Vancouver and was recorded there by Sheldon Zaharko and mixed by Steve Dawson in Nashville, Tennessee. Guitars and pedal steel by Steve Dawson, drums and percussion by Gary Craig, bass and mandolin by Jeremy Holmes, and keyboards by Chris Jestrin. I'd just like to thank Jim Burns for agreeing to do a crazy project like this. And without further ado, here is episode eight of One Life, season one with Jim Burns. guy carried on I say we had done a an arc about the uh, clothing business of course uh, Jerry Lewis uh, was our big star on that we oh man the, the, the people we got brought in and got to work with but then we did a uh, a show about the, uh, an arc about the music business and um, we brought in uh, Mick Flick Wood came up to be part of it, and uh, Glenn Fry from from the Eagles, and we got you know hanging out De- Debbie Harry from Blondie uh, did a number of episodes, and we got to spend this time and do this work. In fact, you know I, I do a lot of work with uh, Variety Club. This is something we'll talk about a little bit later, but uh, you know they would have the telethons and did a lot of fundraising for them to help disabled children, and. Uh, one of the telethons we used to have here in Vancouver, I put a band together uh, to appear on the afternoon, uh, one of the portions, and it was uh, myself and Debbie Harry singing, I was playing guitar, of course. Uh, we had uh, Johnny Depp playing guitar, uh, Richard Grieco, remember Richard from Booker, and then he, uh, he was playing some guitar. Uh, one of the Teamsters was playing bass, and... Uh, Steve Beers, who was uh, one of the line producers on uh, 21 Jump Street, was the drummer. 
That was a pretty exciting, and, and Glenn Fry was part of that as well. So, you know, this uh, just one thing after another, the, uh, the excitement of getting to work with, uh, with these great actors. Also got to, you know, got to work with, with actors that me as a, as a fan of this stuff, I'm very well aware of some of these character actors that you've seen a million times, but uh, you don't know their name, but oh, it's that guy, uh, Ford Rainey. A guy named Leo Gordon. Leo Gordon is the only actor that I ever actually asked uh, to give. Can I get my picture taken with you? Because I felt, man, I'm making a movie now. Leo was, uh, you know, like a, as a kid growing up, you'd turn on the Lone Ranger, and he was one of the bad guys. He was always a bad guy in these things, you know. And uh, I just said one day I had the feeling that, man, I am really in this business making a movie. We ran our course, uh, and there were some internal problems. Uh, our star and the uh, executive producer had, were at loggerheads over a number of things, and then, of course, Ken got hit up, took a fall, and really got hurt uh, badly, and we had to bring in some other actors to kind of fluff things out. And uh, Anyway, things kind of just, they, they did go south. And uh, Ken left the show, and we brought in Stephen Bauer to uh, sort of replace him, and uh, Maximilian Schell, great actor, Austrian actor, came in and was doing the show. But we were doing, we were shooting. This was would have been into our would have would have been our fourth season, and uh, we had shot a scene, and I would that I was in. We got off, and we we broke for lunch, and when we came back from lunch, they called a meeting, and CBS had pulled the plug. So just like that, you know, you're unemployed. Uh, with no unemployment insurance or any of that stuff when you're working for yourself. But uh, meanwhile, I, I w we were doing okay. I, we had, uh, I had made some pretty good money over those years, and we bought a house, and I was feeling pretty confident. But uh, at the same time, you know, and the band was playing, but, but I really wanted to, you know, the, the acting thing had really kind of taken over my life, and I was back. The, the, the great satisfaction I felt from, from doing that was... Uh, kind of eating at me so we were you know got out and I did some uh, some other movies for uh, movies of the week for CBS uh, when after the show was over and uh, there's a, a great uh, Canadian series Neon Rider that was produced here in Vancouver my friends uh, uh, Winston Record the late great and uh, Danny Virtue who's still out there doing it and uh, I, I had a, a recurring role on that uh, it was a nice little piece and it was good to have some work at home and, uh, but at the same time, it was kind of, uh, there was an empty feeling. And one day I got a call from the agent, and uh, this would have been, in, by this point, it was 19, uh, 1993, yeah, this, the uh, late fall. And uh, it, got a sh it got a call uh, saying that uh, they, these guys wanted to see me. There was a, the second season of Highlander was just about to begin shooting here in Vancouver. And... Uh, they wanted to see me, and uh, they were going to offer me some stuff. And I and, and my audition for this, I, I never really auditioned for it, because I found out later that they were in, in a spot. But uh, what I did was uh, I, I went, and they they wanted me to meet with the executive producer uh, down at the Sutton Place Hotel, and we were just going to have a meeting and talk about this, that, and the other thing. So I went down and met with uh, Bill Panzer, who had... Uh, 
Bill Panzer and his partner Peter Davis had produced the original Highlander movie with uh, uh, Christophe Lambert and uh, Sean Connery, and uh, which was a huge hit. Out of which, of course, they decided they were going to uh, do this uh, television series, and they were about to start shooting their second season, and uh, they uh, they offered me this part. So we went to to meet with uh, with Bill. And uh, after a couple of bad jokes and a couple of shots of really good Scotch whiskey, they offered me four episodes. They promised me four episodes. And we were going to start shooting like the day after tomorrow. Okay, so this was up against it. And um, so they offered me these four episodes over, over the course of this first, uh, the second season. Anyway, that turned into five years of solid work. I became a regular on the, on the series. And... Uh, many adventures uh, awaited me, I'll tell you. I found out later they had uh, been offering a number of uh, really well-known uh, British actors. Well, David Warner and uh, David McCallum had both been offered this part of uh, Ian Dawson, uh, who was this sort of mysterious character who belonged to this group called The Watchers, who knew of the existence of the Immortals. Uh, if you know the premise of the show. So anyway, uh, it, was, it was a new character to be uh, introduced in. But, uh, so, and as shooting approached, uh, they, they were turned down. They, these guys uh, decided that they were going another way. They didn't want to be part of the show. They didn't want to come to Vancouver. They, you know, for, for many whatever reasons. And so uh, they had, I happened to be in town. One of the producers, uh, well, I, I had some what they call Q. I mean, people knew who I was from the work on Wise Guy and stuff. And uh, so they knew I could do the work. And like I say, they only promised me four episodes. So we got there and the day we started shooting, uh, well, the character was originally Ian Dawson. And the director and I uh, kind of felt that I, you know, I felt funny with the name. So I became Joe, which I felt much more comfortable with. And uh, once again, uh, we, you know, started shooting and then, meeting with everybody and uh, things went well and had a had a nice rapport with the directors and with the producers and with the other actors and uh, like I say f four episodes turned into five years of solid work uh, now as an actor to be able to we would shoot 22 episodes uh, and it was a, a Canada France co-production although a lot of the work was done down on the states uh, for money reasons, there was a Canadian money involved, and French money. So we uh, we would shoot 13 episodes here in Vancouver. And as a working actor, to be able to be home and, and see your kids grow up and sleep in your own bed uh, is really quite amazing. And then we would shoot nine episodes uh, in Paris, France. And uh, <laughs> to be able to go to Paris for six weeks every year, or six weeks or two months, or a little bit longer every year and live at somebody else's expense was uh, also uh, just sort of beyond what one expects out of life, I'll tell you. The episodes started piling up and then and the show was going well and uh, they were excited. Once again, they, they discovered that I, uh, that I really was a musician. And uh, so in the first season, I had been a dealer in antique books and uh, Antique stuff. Then, when we started the third season, my second season on the show, uh, my character uh, all of a sudden said, "Yeah, no, I'm kind of tired of hanging around in museums and stuff. And what I really love is uh, 
So I opened a bar, uh, Joe's, a blues bar, and uh, Steve Gagan built a beautiful set. I mean, we had this, and uh, they were all very happy. Uh, you know, it's great when you have a, when you can convince the producer. It was their idea. You you have an idea that you kind of. Uh, which was my idea to try to get some some music into the show and get my character to be a bit hipper than uh, he was. And so you plant these little seeds and uh, and you uh, make the producers think that it was their idea. And all of a sudden, you know, you're you're living your dream. <laughs> so when, and when we first got to Paris, I mean, uh, really there was there was a film. Uh, in fact, I just saw it on TV recently, Paris Blues. Uh, Paul Newman, Sidney Poitier, uh, Diane Carroll, and Joanne Woodward. And it was about a couple of American guys, jazz musicians, uh, who had gone to Paris to do this, you know. And, and when I when the movie first came out, uh, you know, I just I loved it. Oh man, this was such a cool film, cool of a dream. And uh, those those that first season in Paris, you know, I said, man, I'm really living my dream. Here I am, this musician hanging out in these hip places in Paris and uh, going to the, you know, we, we got to see uh, some of the, just some of the great music that would come to, there was a place called The New Morning. And uh, my friend John Hammond was over with playing at The New Morning. And then we saw uh, Eddie Palmieri and uh, Wynton Marsalis. And I just, the people would come through and uh, man, I was living there and living in the, you know, fancy hotel. and. Saturdays and Sundays, we would go out to Belleville and uh, to the to the Gypsy Markets and uh, see the guys. The you know Django Reinhardt's son, <laughs> just in, incredible stuff. And you know, and get to, to get to take a, a day trip and go out to Sam Samoisoussan and go to Django's uh, graveside and uh, oh, just the, the incredible uh, the, the life, uh, la vie parisienne. It was uh, formidable, I'll tell you. And what's funny, too, when we were first there, I, I didn't realize, but uh, we would be out, for example, in a restaurant or something, and you'd get some of the some of the staff would come out looking in the kitchen, and, and I'd be with Adrian, who was our star, of course, the star of Highlander. And, you know, I thought that he was getting all the attention, but they would come out. And Wise Guy had been a big, big hit in France, where it was called uh, Un Flic de la Mafia a cop in the mafia, right? And uh, and so these, you know, all of a sudden they would come out and they would, oh, Uncle Mike, uh, formidable. It was, it was really uh, just, like I say, if I'd been younger, my ego would have blown up. But I knew what I'd done to get there, so it was not, uh, it, it didn't inflate my ego too much. But it sure is nice to be recognized, you know? And uh, I know one afternoon, in fact, we were sitting, uh, at the uh, Le Dumego, across the street uh, in in Saint Germain, and across the street from the, the church, actually, l'église de Saint Germain de Pré, and uh, there's this famous there's Le Dumego and the Cafe Floor, uh, they're, they're right next to one another. Where Hemingway and uh, Jean Paul Sartre and all these people, they, this, these were their coffee shops where they hung out and. Just the atmosphere is so fantastic. So we were sitting out there, uh, ogling women that went by and stuff. And one in particular said, "Wow, there's that's Kate Moss." And I was, oh, "Holy cow!" And then, of course, she was dating Johnny Depp at the time. And all of a sudden, Johnny shows up and, uh, and comes walking over to the table. And Adrian was kind of 
primping himself, and but Johnny comes up, Jimmy, what are you doing here, man? <laughs> well, I'm shooting the show, and he was there doing the show, uh, What's Eating Gilbert Great? And they, they were doing some, you know, what they call junkets to to let people know about the movie and uh, this and that. So we uh, said, yeah, we get together and play some guitar. I'm staying at such and such a hotel, and uh, what a life. <laughs> Just incredible. Here, here was all this stuff was happening, and we got... Uh, you know, day after day, we went out and, and, and shot uh, episodes uh, in some incredible places. I mean, uh, at the end of the first season, we were there. Uh, of course, our one of our main sets was uh, the barge on which uh, our, our hero lived, which was uh, right there, uh, right across from uh, Notre Dame in the Ile Saint-Louis. And we would be down, down there on the uh, Cato Voltaire. Just, I mean... The history and the light in the morning and the light in the evening and uh, the stuff we got to do, you know, just... And I, I have friends that lived in Paris as well, some of my... Uh, through people I knew uh, in Victoria, some family people, and, and so we got to... In my time off, um, I really got to see life in Paris. We would get out of the, the, the tourist areas and go out and hang out and shop and, and eat and stuff where the Parisians lived. And uh, it was uh, such a, an eye-opening experience. Uh, we shot out in the uh, the cemetery uh, where Van Gogh had, uh, had lived and where he, uh, in fact, perished out there. He was buried in the cemetery along with his brother, Teo. And uh, the day we shot out there was, uh, was just magical. We got to shoot up on the uh, in the Eiffel Tower, up on the, the second level, up beyond where uh, normally tourists even go. And uh, in fact, they took me up in an elevator to the very top. And I have a bit of a fear of heights, and I was glad to <laughs> get back down to earth that day. I'll tell you the truth. But it's uh, you know on and on this went, and uh, and some of the people once again that we got to work with. Uh, some of the co-stars that came in, Roger Daltrey from The Who, uh, of course, and uh, wonderful guy, very funny, you know, and uh, one thing being on set, but hanging out, uh, we would go out to, for oysters at Beaufanger, and uh, a, a dream, a dream come true. I you couldn't, couldn't believe that it was uh, actually happening to me, and uh, got to bring... Uh, a wife and, and daughter over a couple times and uh, to see, see the life there and we always put us up in you know nice digs and uh, went out to Euro Disney which was uh, exciting for the little one she she loved it and uh, spending a day out there and this was all as part of my job <laughs> and the friendships that I made uh, of course, with, with our star Adrian and then some of the uh, co-stars that came in, uh, Elizabeth Grace and uh, Lizzie from, you know, uh, she had been Miss America back in, uh, I guess, 1982. Uh, and uh, she's from Arkansas, so we had we had stuff to talk about, you know, we, 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 we had a real friendship. And then I'm a fellow named uh, Peter Wingfield who came in play the oldest immortal in the world, this 5,000-year-old man. He was this impossibly handsome Welshman <laughs> with a beautiful, dulcet voice. And 
And just immediately, we, the, the night we met in Paris, we, we just had formed a, a fantastic friendship. Peter's an interesting guy. Now he has uh, moved down to L.A. and was, was working on 24 and doing lots of, before he got into the acting thing. He had been a medical student in, in, in London and was uh, six uh, months away from becoming, getting a medical degree, becoming a doctor over when he decided, ah, heck with this, I want to be, be an actor. And he spent a number of years becoming an actor and becoming a great actor and, and doing some really great work. And then uh, a couple years ago, he, he told me, he says, well, you know, I've sort of had it with this. I'm, I'm going to try to get back into medical school. And so, uh, you know, at his age, it was tough. I mean, at the age of he was 49 or 50 years old, and to find somebody would take him as a first-year med student. But he had such a background in it that, that he was able, and he was such an absolutely brilliant guy beyond his, his acting work. He was just, uh, I mean, when it, it, to supplement his, his uh, income when he was living down in L.A., he was uh, tutoring uh, kids, the kids of, of lots of actors in calculus and physics and all this stuff because he's just a, an absolutely brilliant cat. He got back into medical school in Vermont and uh, did this, that, and the other thing, and he's just finishing his internship now. He's an anesthetist uh, down in, in, living in San Diego, and he's uh, going to be the head of anesthesiology at one of the, ho the hospitals down there. So this guy, what a cat, what a, what a life, and uh, we have remained uh, just the best of friends. Uh, and so it's, it's so great when you get to work. I mean, there, the odd time you'll, you'll meet some, an actor that... Uh, but generally, the bigger they are, the, uh, the nicer they are, and, uh, and have had some really incredible times doing that whole, uh, that whole Highlander thing. And then, of course, after the, uh, the show, we, we, we sort of finished our last episodes. I did, it was season six, and I had done five, five years of it. Uh, it, too, uh, went the way of all things, all things must pass. But then we did, a, we, we shot a couple of uh, films, they were based uh, where, where they brought in my character, uh, and uh, we shot uh, one film in, in Bucharest, Romania. And so I got to go to these places that I would not normally uh, get to. Just uh, you're planning your vacation. You want to go to Hawaii or do you want to go to Romania? Well, <laughs> not everybody would choose Romania, but I'm so glad I went. I mean, we, that was an incredible time there. In fact, I uh, took a train. We had some a bit of a time off and. I, uh, we took a train and went, and I spent Halloween at uh, Dracula's castle in Brasov, Romania. Stuff like that down at the, on the on the store of the Black Sea in Costanza, and uh, and then we shot another film in Vilnius, Lithuania. Once again, another place that is not really you know tops on your on your list of places to go, but once again, fascinating the history, the people, the. The, I mean, the history, incredible. In fact, when I was there, I, uh, I was in, inspired to do some, some writing. Uh, I wrote a couple of uh, some really good songs. In fact, I've always found that that's sometimes when I'm out on the road like that and far away from uh, the comforts of home is when I've done my best uh, sort of uh, songwriting. And, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to do some other writing as well. And, and it really, that those are those, those situations kind of... Uh, where you got to dig deep, and uh, you, you find inspiration in, in the people and the, the world that's around you. And uh, so, really, had some incredible. The, the times with with Highlander were just incredible. I mean, just 
the friendships I made, the, uh, the, the history I got to see, the places I got to go. I'll tell you a little story about that. This was shortly after, uh, well, one season, when mom and dad would come up generally in, in September is my birthday and my daughter's birthday. And, you know, the weather's generally pretty good up here in Vancouver. And uh, so they were up one year. And we were shooting, in the midst of shooting uh, our season of, of Highlander. And uh, I saw that there was an opportunity. I wanted them to, remember, you have the deal where you have, uh, you take your kids to work. Well, I thought I'd take my parents to, to my work and let them see how it went. And, uh, and so reading the script, I thought, well, there's, maybe I can. I talked to the, the director, Richard Martin, a good guy and a good friend. And I said, uh, hey, listen, you think we could... Uh, get my parents in the scene as extras or something. Sure, okay, good. We were shooting out at the at the Wise Hall out there on, on Adnack Street, and it was, uh, we had dressed it as a, uh, we were having a boxing tournament uh, as a memorial to uh, our friend who had met his demise in one of the earlier episodes of the season before. And uh, we were, you know, it was like we were having this little uh, boxing tournament to, to raise money and awareness in the neighborhood and to, to, you know, it was a community event, and we had set up like it was a little gym, and and so as the the fight went on, uh, myself and Pete Wingfield as Mythos and Duncan McLeod, uh, Adrian Paul, we were all sitting there in a row, uh, watching the fight and kibitzing and eating popcorn, and uh, Richard arranged to have my mom and dad sit directly behind us. So it was fun. I mean, they, we, we spent a day on the set, and they wondered, well, why does it take so long? And I explained, well, well, watch the lighting, and then this and that. And we, so we still, you know, stood around at the craft service table and drank some bad coffee and talked about show business. And it really had a, it was a beautiful memories that day. So it was a, a number of years later, my, my dad passed away in, in March of uh, uh, 2002, uh, just, uh, just short of his 90th birthday. And... Uh, he had had a, a good at bat, and, uh, and he went uh, he went quick. It was just it was quite a surprise, and it, you know it hurt, it came as a shock, but we didn't have to watch him suffer or anything. So it was we were blessed in a way. Just we never had a chance to say goodbye. So it was uh, you know maybe a few months after that, uh, and I was at home one night. I couldn't sleep, and I got up, and I was you know I went down and reread all the newspapers and finished all the crossword puzzles and flipped through some magazines and as a final well I gotta get back to bed well TV that's what put me to sleep so I flipped on the TV and the usual Jack LaLanne and uh, Girls Gone Wild and all the usual nonsense and then so it came it was three o'clock and uh, it was kind of starting to storm outside the wind was blowing and three o'clock it came on uh, he is immortal Born in the Highlands of Scotland, my, I, you know, I did the, I did the rap at the beginning. That was my voice that did the intro to the show. And oh, an episode of Highlander. This ought to put me to sleep. So here it was. Uh, we were sitting there, and uh, that first scene came up, and it was the episode that Mom and Dad were sitting there behind me. And all of a sudden, just for the, in the blink of an eye, I don't, you know, it lasted less than, you know, two seconds probably. But there I was with a couple of my buddies and my mom and dad eating popcorn and laughing and scratching. And it was really uh, an incredible moment. I mean, it was uh, that thing, who wants to live forever? I mean, indeed. So I, I really didn't pay too much attention to the rest of the show, but I, 
but I had a, a feeling of peace inside of me. And uh, meanwhile, the the wind had blown the clouds away, and the, the moon was setting on the horizon. And uh, I went back to sleep. Yeah, that was uh, just all those years later. And this was so many years, you know, probably ten years after we had done, or eight years after we had done the show. And uh, just that moment in time that uh, that hung there was really a special gift. Really a special gift. episode of One Life. You'll find all the episodes up now for your enjoyment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.